Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Today's episode of the Happier at Work podcast is pretty special um, for a couple of reasons. So the first reason is because Andrew Barnes has actually been on the podcast before. So this is his second time to appear on the podcast or heard on the podcast, might be better to say. And uh, it's also the first time that I'm having two guests at the same time. So both Andrew and Charlotte Lockhart from Four Day Week will be interviewed on the podcast today. I thought it really fitting to speak to both of them in relation to four day week, given the current circumstances that we find ourselves in and the talk about flexible working. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. As always, I would love to hear feedback. You can engage through social media or you can reach out to me directly um, if you want to provide feedback. It's always great to hear. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Brilliant. So welcome, Andrew and Charlotte, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. And actually, this is a first. It's the first time that I'm interviewing two people at the same time. So it's pretty exciting. And the last time that Andrew was on, it was the first time I had interviewed a Kiwi as well. So it's all very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to introduce yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so nice, nice to meet you. So I'm Charlotte Locke and I'm the CEO of Four Day Week. And I'm Andrew Barnes. I'm the founder of Perpetual Guardian and the architect of Four Day Week. Brilliant. Welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. Now, we are in the middle of the Future of Work series. And when this sort of first came about and people started talking about flexible working, I immediately thought about my conversation that I had with Andrew, where we were talking about the four day week and we were talking about kind of outcomes versus uh, outcomes versus inputs, essentially. Um, but I'd love to get your take on, given that we're in the future of work, your take on the immediate impact that COVID-19 is going to have in New Zealand, globally, in Ireland, any thoughts that you have, and then the kind of longer term prospects for the future of work. Well, I think in the short term, what I think we're seeing is that the COVID pandemic has actually accelerated the discussion that we're going to have about flexible working. You've seen it. You've got, you know, Google, Twitter. Um, they're sending people home saying, in fact, you know, you're not necessarily need to come back till the end of the year. We've got Optus, Big Telco and Australia has said that don't come back to the office ever. We're going to go working from home. And, and closer to, to Ireland, obviously, you've had the, the chief executive of Barclays starting to speculate whether, in fact, there is a return to um, you know, office work in the concept of a 70,000-person bank in the UK. So I think flexible working will be the big winner here, in, at least in the short term, and that uh, part of it will be driven by um, so, social distancing. I mean, certainly our own business. We can only, if we ever got the whole team back into the office, we could only have half the team in at any point in time. So I think that's now, just as a matter of fact, going to come up the uh, the agenda. Yeah, and I think that it was, so it's quite an exciting time as far as that's concerned, if there's a silver lining to what is happening with COVID. And I think enlightened businesses will look at their, their the cost saves they can have by actually having a flexible work 
workforce. One of the things that we saw when we were talking to businesses around the world is that the biggest obstacle to this, of course, was, was leadership fear, fear of being able to trust their uh, staff and fear of not really understanding how to measure their productivity uh, when they did go home uh, or work flexibly. So now we've kind of jumped over that fear because we've been forced to go home. And so now businesses have understood uh, what flexibility, how flexible working can work in their businesses. And, um, you know, and you know, we hear stories of people being on all day Zoom calls so their managers can supervise them. And I suspect there's a little bit less of that now. Yeah. Um, because, you know, <laughs> the former supervisors having to do that, like, that's a dreadful idea. But I think that, you know, over time, we will we will learn a new way of working. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have heard that story as well. I'm not sure exactly where it stemmed from, but I, I can't imagine that's, you know, someone supervising you literally just by looking at a camera that's pointing at you when you're supposed to be working. So like what happens when you need to go to the bathroom or when you want to take a break or like physically being in front of your laptop all day is is very draining anyway. True, but you see, this is the point. If you think about it, that's what we were doing at work. Oh, absolutely. Right? So we were, we had, you had a, if you, depending on your office structure, all you actually were doing, and this was, of course, the, the thesis that started the four-day week, that actually all you did was you used time as a surrogate for productivity. Mm. So to put it a different way, if I have the people in my uh, my office, my open plan office, Actually, isn't that just a very large Zoom screen? And I am all I'm doing is I'm looking at them and going, well, they're here, therefore they must be must working. Be. Yeah. And therefore, there is no difference. Yeah. It is, we merely virtualized the same inability to understand productivity, which I find quite remarkable. Yeah. But, but that's the point. So what this then has done is this big issue, and Charlotte said one part of it was around trust. Second part of it is suddenly company after company is coming back and going, you know, our productivity didn't drop. Now, okay, you may have got an overall drop in activity because the economy is, you know, slower. There's not as much going on. But if you sit and look at the tasks that people do and how long it takes them to do it, you know, I think employer after employer is reaching the conclusion that actually, without the distractions, without the issues, people were doing those jobs quicker, mm. which is the thesis, of course, again, of the four-day week, which is you change your working behavior to enable you to be more efficient. It was just forced on you. Now, okay, there are people who struggle. They've got small children, dogs, uh, you know, partners, <laughs> all sorts of other things that could be a distraction. So leave that aside. You've got to, not everybody could have a um, an, an office area where they could work, you know, quietly and without interruption. But but the generalisation holds true. And it would be nice to see that if we, you know, get into a point where the children go back to school and companies maintain the flexible and remote working policy uh, as an opt-in for their staff. And those parents who, if you think about it, I think it's highly ironic that the people who were wanting flexible and remote working previously were the parents and we gave it to them and homeschooling the children at the same time. They're like, no, that's not what I had in mind at all. So it would be lovely that once the kids go back to school, I mean, in New Zealand, our, our children are broadly back to school, but I think yours are probably not going to go back until the new school year. Mm. Once that is in place, what the productivity will look like for, for those people, because they've had to work out how to do their jobs and have small children around. Yeah. So 
I would suggest that they'll be really productive when we remove the children from the home. This is it, yeah. I, I loved what you said, Andrew, about the the office space being this virtual Zoom room, effectively. Like to me, it's 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 the epitome of presenteeism, isn't it? Like you, if your boss is still in the office, you stick around because. If you're seen to leave, it kind of looks like you're not working anymore, even if you're going to open up your laptop at home anyway. So this this whole concept of just being seen at work is under the assumption that you're doing the work, you know, that you're being productive. Yeah. Um, And I love this. I just made a note of it there. Time as a surrogate for productivity. I just love that whole concept as well. I've heard stories on both sides where on the one hand, it's like, brilliant, I can get so much more work done because I'm at home. But as you mentioned, on the other hand, you've got kids, you've got dogs, you've got, you know, chores and whatever else as distractions. And, for, you know, it's trying to find the balance with those. But if... And good business leaders have been taking the pulse of their staff through all of this. Yeah. Uh, and have been surveying them. And obviously the, the, the surveying is a little bit more active here because we've, we've got a much more defined uh, return to work program. But most of them seem to be finding that about 70% of their staff uh, want to maintain a flexible and remote working structure of some sort. And in fact, our, um, our, our main newspaper here, the New Zealand Herald, ran a survey and I, uh, which about 10 days ago, and I checked in on it again the other day, and, and only 12% in their survey said that they, people wanted to go back to work exclusively. Okay. Everyone else wanted, about half the others wanted yeah. this combination yeah. or, or fully remote. And of course, the, the point is, and, and it's slightly different when you're doing homeschooling, I'll buy that. But the distractions caused by dogs, partners and children are there even if you're not there. Because one of the things that you've got to deal with is, you know, the, the, you've got a, an issue with the children's school or you need to go and pick them up. Or when you're got, at work, yes. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of these distractions were there. And again, that was part of the thesis behind the four-day week that was really saying, look, how can I, if I gave you more time, so all of those distractions that are caused by life, if I can corral them into a separate day, then you've got more time at the weekend. You know, it, it, that's the thing that makes the difference. You actually just basically, we have problems because we didn't have enough time. Create more time, your ability to segregate work life and home life. Yeah, becomes easier. Yeah, the life admin that kind of creeps into your everyday work, whether it's planning your holidays or checking your social media or whatever it might be. That's right. Mm. I mean, the economic impact for businesses to 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 uh, reduce the amount of people that they have in big offices. I mean, the Barclays example mm. with their massive office with seven thousand people in Canary Wharf. You know, we've got one business here who has two floors in the most expensive building in Auckland. He thinks after this he'll be able to go down to one floor. Well, that's massive. He's yeah. already paid for the staff to have um, screens and, and ergonomic chairs and all of that cost is already there. He's paying a small amount for them to, to cover internet costs and things. That's already done. That's mm-hmm. a sunk cost. So why would he, why would he perpetuate that? by continuing to have space that he, that he now no longer needs if he takes this course of action. And I think, you know, we're, we're looking at it, so if I look at our business, so our business is similar to that. We've got four floors effectively in a building in central Auckland. We dropped one already. Um, we 
will look very seriously to drop another, mm. um, which, in fact, we've got plans to drop another one next year, but we might, in fact, drop two. Um, we will reduce the size, probably, of our office in Wellington. And what we're then doing is, well, let's actually rethink this. When we're fe- recruiting in the future, we've got these little offices around the country. It's similar mm. to the Barclays argument. Actually, we might now be recruiting more staff to do some of the admin jobs that we would have put in head office. They may be in these branches around the country. That enables us to perpetuate the four-day week even more efficiently because the small branches are the ones that often suffer because you get down to one or two people um, in the office if you've got people out. But actually, that will be our new model. And and I also have a, um, a view that actually work will actually start to be the place you go to socialize. It will not be the place you go to work. So you will work from home for a few days. You will go to work for a few days, and obviously you'll have your rostered for fifth day off or whatever it is. But actually the main purpose of being in the office will be to spend time with your colleagues, to have team meetings, to do all that socializing and collaborative stuff. stuff. Mm. And so, in fact, we will see a complete inversion of the, the, the concept. We will, we will go to somewhere to work, to, to socialize. We will work at home. And that yeah. is, is a really interesting goal. And the economic benefits for, for, for a country when they do that, you, you, you're taking all of that, uh, that, all of that busyness that happens around a central city and you're pushing it out into the regions. And if you think about it, once you're released from your uh, from your garden and you are able to work remotely, when you go for coffee, it won't be to the cafe in downtown Dublin. It will be to the cafe in your local village. Yeah. And so, therefore, you're actually dispersing the, the, the money that is spent much more widely through. So economically, it's quite good for a country as well. Yeah, because, yeah. The, 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 you know, the hiking yourself into your central city is just a whole pile of traffic. Yes. Yeah, and, whole, it, you know, and that means, you know, we've, we've always, we've modelled it for Auckland. So we know if Auckland got to free flow, that's probably going to add about 2% to Auckland GDP. So you take the traffic out, that's going to have an economic benefit. Yeah. We've got a situation that the council here is, you know, like councils everywhere now, is going to have very little money. Now, they are responsible for the infrastructure, but suddenly if you don't need to build more rail links, more road links, because people are not travelling, it's peak that causes the problem. It's not um, flow during the day. Mm. So if, in fact, that's not occurring, you don't need to invest in that infrastructure anymore. It's much more local infrastructure. Um, you know, we, we know that the benefits of being at home will have the health benefits that, you know, bizarrely, you're seeing some of those and you're losing some of those at the moment in COVID. But but very clearly, there will be lots of positive economic outcomes mm. for governments dropping off a change to flexible working. And the estimates of the impact of flexible working being applied broadly, you know, run into tens of trillions of dollars globally. Wow because of what it will do to stimulate the economy. And then, you know, latterly, the other point here, you know, where we have got literally a destroyed industry in the form of uh, uh, tourism, if you can stimulate domestic tourism, maybe that will fill the gap a little bit. Well, if you give people more time off, Mm -hmm. they actually have more time 
to travel domestically. And, and in our case, you can't leave the country anyway. So um, you got no choice. <laughs> so what that will then do is, is that will also create more economic activity, but not just concentrated, but, you know, dispersed yeah. throughout the country. So I think there's lots of real benefits for this if it's actually handled correctly. But I think, and, and you know, and then obviously there's the environmental uh, side of things. Yeah, we've all been yeah. enjoying the clear skies um, and the pictures of 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 the of Everest from Kathmandu, and mm. we, we, we all recognise the you know, the benefits of that. And 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 there are obviously economic benefits that sit alongside that. When one of the things we had a, a Zoom call very early on with um, uh, with the CEO of, of a one of the, the world's um, largest uh, photocopying uh, photo you know photocopier. Uh, mm. supplies uh, company and the, his business has gone down by 80 percent which is obviously sad for them and, and you know obviously they're, they're a reasonably large employer throughout the world so that's obviously not great however it just goes to show you 80 percent of paper is not being <laughs> photocopied on now we are not doing that activity we are learning to be more digital in the way that we transact work uh, you know, so even just having meetings by Zoom, we will probably not go back to doing all of those face-to-face -face mm. meetings that we used to do because it's just easier and more acceptable to just do it by Zoom now. We, yeah. We've got through that, I can, I can transact. We had one of our staff members, she was saying they had a... Um, <clears throat> part of our business is we give money away uh, for for um, clients. And one of our business leaders was saying that she ran a process that normally would have taken two months because they'll have done it all physically. They did it in two weeks. Wow. So those sort of efficiencies are hard to deny in terms of the benefit that they have. But then, but again, back to the environmental impact, it's, it's outstanding. Well, and funnily enough, I did, a, I did my first physical board meeting yesterday um, so normally the board meetings we've been running have all been on zoom very very efficiently board yes. sitting in this uh, fantastic so we did a, a, a tangible real board meeting there was one director who couldn't get in and was on zoom but the rest of us because of our rules were spaced two meters apart yeah now i needed a telescope <laughs> to see the director at the far end of the room. Yeah. We all had to have microphones because we were so far. If you actually were going to just speak, you couldn't hear it. So we're all pressing our buttons. It was like United Nations. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> easier to, to stay on Zoom. It would have been easier to stay on Zoom, yeah, actually. And yeah. I wouldn't have had to go into the office. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have had to do what I did for a meeting that actually was highly inefficient mm. because of the fact we weren't just doing it on Zoom. Yeah. And that, I think, the lesson that we're going to have because even eventually we will get back to sitting together yeah but for a long period of time we won't and actually yeah. as long as that it's not efficient yeah it's kind of easier to see people on Zoom. And I've had this commented to me a few times as well, where because you can see everyone's face at all at the same time, you know, it's like the Brady Bunch or whatever. And um, you can see people's facial reactions much more easily than if you were sitting beside them in a room because you can't see someone kind of aside. Um, it was really, really interesting from that, that perspective. So Andrew, how did you find being physically back in a room with other people like what was that like after such a long time well uh, you, you know uh, it was a chore actually. <laughs> I mean, I mean, 
You do hear of yeah, you I mean, do hear a lot of the, <laughs> with people with anxiety over this. Yeah, this is, yeah. That has been one of the conversations we've had a lot. Of, you know, obviously we went into our what is our level two um, at the beginning of oh, we've been in just two weeks we're in it now, um, and that was the thing that most people felt was this anxiety around. Um, coming out of their homes, anxiety around uh, physical meetings and things. But, you know, we're very lucky here that the amount of COVID uh, is, is so small. But I, I, there will be people listening um, that are, are going, well, that's all very well and fine, but I've not got my job now or mm. I'm struggling to even keep my staff. Mm. And I think that we have to acknowledge the economic impact on businesses uh, irrespective of whether they know what their productivity is or not, is just there because they are in industries that have just died because of the the, the lack of custom, yeah, for whatever reason. And I think that um, you know, so we've got we've got employers that are having to go down, and that just happens around the world where, that are having to go down to a four day week and pay for four days of time because they just physically cannot keep paying their staff full time, mm-hmm. and they're wanting to try and keep their staff, and they maybe have enough business for a smaller amount of work. But there is that journey to what that looks like. And we've been having a lot of conversations with our unions and and and, and with business here in here and, and around the world around if that's the case, and we have to accept, so obviously the four-day week uh, global uh, proposal is that you pay full-time wages for less time. So that's what we that's what we advocate for. But we have to acknowledge that that's not the economic reality for a lot of businesses. Mm. And so what we've been saying is, well, if that's the journey you have to be on, and you're doing your best to produce, produce preserve jobs, then have a really open conversation with your staff around what are the key indicators that would mean that that their incomes can can rise again, mm. but also be on a journey to have their income rise, but not go back to full time hours because you've used this time to look at your productivity and be clear about how to make your business more productive yeah and I think that's a a really that would be a really useful thing for us as an economy to be doing to position ourselves better for the recovery one of the things that we have been doing here is is we have been um, engaging with both government and, and the union movement over an adoption of a variation of the German Kusabeit, uh, so the short-time working policy that the Germans brought in in the time of the global financial crisis. And effectively, what that was was that companies reduced uh, work four days, uh, they reduced pay four days. And then the fifth day, the government made up a proportion of it, I think it was 60 or 67% of the salary for the fifth day. Now, that came with a couple of obligations. You had to start looking at upskilling or retraining or what have you. So at the end of the process, you kept economic activity up. And obviously, you know, they were taxing that 67. So the real net cost to government was probably about 50%. Mm. Um, and therefore, probably, you know, they'd have paid that in benefits in some shape or form. But they then had a journey to get a higher skilled workforce. And what we're arguing is that actually something like that would be a better model because especially where you have industries that have gone, again, our tourism industry here, you've got to retrain those people to do other things. We've got to find ways to make it economic for companies to go, right, I'm bringing you in, but actually the cost of training you is actually partly going to be borne by the government. And that, as Charlotte says, can then be used 
as a journey that at the end of that process, you're back, people working four days, being paid for five, producing five days worth of productivity. But we've pivoted the whole country and we've made it uh, a better trained workforce, producing, therefore, higher value, um, uh, higher value as far as their businesses are concerned which in turn then will stimulate more economic activity. So I think it's a very clear and simple strategy to be adopted. Um, and we'd like to hope that, that governments will, will move beyond what is just short-term, how do I vaguely you know, subsidise jobs for the time being, hmm. to actually something that's a wee bit more structural, a little bit more thought about how we get out of this. Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic idea. I love that whole concept. Um, we've spoken about productivity a few times. And I know when we spoke the last time, Andrew, you, you mentioned about asking staff themselves how to define productivity. And it's something that that I kind of get asked a lot about is how, how do you define productivity or how what are the steps that people can take to start looking at productivity rather Rather than looking at time, looking at productivity instead. Well, well, here, here's the thing. I love this. I, every time this one crops up, I love it. So you're, you're, they're, they're freely admitting to you at the moment, therefore, that they have no idea what productivity is in their yeah. business. Now, actually, that's been okay, right? Never even thought about worrying about why I check productivity. And now you say, well, here, let's go to this thing. And they go, well, how do I know what productivity is? Well, you weren't worried about it before. Were, yeah. So, 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 so but that's because you were so worried about time. Yeah. So what you that's the point. This is a journey that everybody has got to go on. Yeah. Um, to understand what productivity is. Now, therefore, if you don't know what productivity is, ask the person who's actually doing it. You okay. Know? Yeah, Not yeah. saying it's right. Hmm. What we're saying is what is it, i.e. How long does it take you to do this? How, how much stuff are you producing? What is it that comes out? And you can start to get a feeling of a benchmark around that. Now, if you go back to you know, early industrial theory, you have people with top stopwatches doing time and motion studies. <laughs> it, it, it's not a million miles away from that, but you're mm. not just having the person with the stopwatch. But you are starting to say to staff, let's understand what drops out of this. And what's the benefit? The benefit is if we can find a way, so I get that, then we will, you know, we'll be in a position that, that we can offer the, the four-day week. Now, I'll just briefly come back to my own company. So we, we've gone through this crisis without having to take a government subsidy. We've seen almost no drop whatsoever in our revenue lines. Now, that's partly because our people were so, had understood productivity. They were very flexible because we built this structure around four days. So there's always someone backfilling or what have you. And so we were able to send our staff home with almost no impact at all on our revenue lines. And a quick back of the envelope calculation says we're now twice as productive as our biggest competitor. On, wow. on an hourly basis per employee. Now, that's what you get from this. And, and I don't need to worry now about what productivity is or is that team doing that? I'm looking at the higher level matrices, which is all I was probably doing the first time. Um, and I'm saying that that's, I can see how productivity is flowing through the business. So we've always had this mantra, don't overthink this. 
if you don't know, anything you get is an improvement. And you can always <laughs> monitor at the top level by looking at what your revenue looks like, what your profit looks like, what your net promoter scores look like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You've got those mm. matrices. If they all go up, actually, this is working. Mm. And, and, and worrying about whether, you know, somebody down the bottom is doing X or Y is sort of irrelevant. You weren't checking it before. But yeah. it's a discipline. What you're really doing, all right, so the other big hint here is it's not about you understanding productivity. It's about them understanding productivity. Yeah. In other words, what is it that I am doing that I should not be doing? Yeah. Because if that is standing between me and a day off, I'll stop doing it. And if they stop doing it and you've recruited the right people, they will then, by definition, produce more because yeah. they've stopped doing the things that are stopping them doing the work. Now, yeah. it's not that hard, right? Mm. <laughs> the, thing, the, interesting, the interesting thing about doing work from home is that you lose a lot of that sort of faffing around that you do in the office. And yeah. you know, we, we often talk about, <clears throat> you know, you come home and you, you, you have, a, have had a very busy day. Oh, how was you? I've had a very busy day. But busyness is not productivity. Yes. Yeah. Agree. And it's that, so it's that confusion between that, and I, and, and so, so I, you know, it's it, it's a really important differentiation to make. So you know, we see people all of the time sort of talking about um, how busy they've been over there. But most of your days full of work avoidance meetings. So it's the staff members making a decision around everything that they do. Does it add to the? Uh, the, uh, the, the outcome that my team is responsible for mm. is one of the questions they'll ask themselves. And is this more important than going home? <laughs> so, and so, but when you are at home, because we're working remotely and we're working flexibly, then there will be other things that we will want to do with our time. Now that we've all developed vegetable gardens and things like that, you'll be watching your lettuce as well. So you're going, I need to go and watch the garden. Um, so so it, it's about understanding how we will newly work. There are, of course, you know, there are other social things that we need to take into consideration. There are people who do struggle from work to work from home. You know, large families, not great internet, um, low education, uh, other disruptors at home that make working from home and working flexibly that a little bit more difficult. And we need to look at, you know, what are, what are the resources we can put behind those people so they can have an equal opportunity to be as productive and engage with the workforce, but not necessarily come into work. Because obviously for them, going all the way into the city for work has a higher economic impact on their family income. So what, you know, what does that look like? Can we repurpose some of our university space and libraries and, and things like that so that people can use those sort of facilities to work quietly and get, uh, you know, and, and engage properly in the economy so mm. the, you know as I say this is the, the exciting thing about this is it gives us an opportunity to completely reframe the way we do it and I strongly believe that the companies that do this and that use this time properly they will be the ones that will survive long term and you know and and, and come out the other end yeah and, and I think the key of course is remembering that flexible working is just that now if we have in our company we don't insist that you do the four-day week. You can work five days. So you can do, you know, five days or four days or 
two half afternoons or come in late, go home early. or And of course, it applies all the way down to, to people working part time as well. Uh, but the key is it's flexible. It's opt in. Now, mm. just because we like working from home doesn't mean that everybody does. And if people want to come to the office, and that's probably going to be the young, because often they will be, well, especially in cities, you know, it's the social aspect of yeah. it. Um, we should be happy with that, right? It's it, The point about flexible working is it's just that. It's flexible. Yeah. Doing what works for you, yeah. which then works for the company. Mm. So that's that's what we've got to bear in mind. The danger, of course, is that what we neatly do is we say, right, well, we had you all in the office and now we're going to enforce flexible working. And what we mean by that is you're going to work from home. Yeah. Now, that's not... That's not yeah, which is what the Optus thing have done. <laughs> yes, and, that's and, right. You know, and, and, and so what will happen is their workforce will change over time to people who only want to work from home. Yeah. And those who want to go want to work... Uh, in a more, you know, more social environment, they'll they will go and work somewhere else. So that, that there will yeah. be that change, but that means that you'll end up with an, a, a business entirely full of introverts who are happy to work completely <laughs> isolated from their colleagues. And I'm not sure that that's a good thing either. No, you know, yeah. the, the great thing about a, 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 a you know a dynamic workforce is its diversity, and that's not yeah. just in gender or ethnicity or anything. That's in the way that we think and the exactly, way we react. Yeah. That we bring, um, you know, all of that sort of things quite important in terms yeah. of how you have a work. Yeah, you make a very valid point there about the diversity within work, and like you say, it's not just about ethnicity and gender and things like that. It's about it's exactly that that you know bringing bringing diverse opinions to how we do mm. things. I think is really really important at work. But if you mm. change how you work to just be like, okay, we're just we're only going to have flexible working like this working from home we're we're not going to have an office at all anymore like you say it shifts the dynamic within the workplace over time in such Mm. that's not something I had really thought about or 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 considered before um but it's it's a thing right so you've got to people also say well you know we miss the water cooler chat we miss that you know getting around the thing where we can socialize and come with an idea well here's another thought that over the last you know, six, eight weeks, we've all been migrated to Zoom. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had uh, conversations with people from all walks of life, from all over the world, in a whole variety of different things, whether it be, you know, wines after four o'clock, which are organized by one charity and they pull people in, or, or it's been conferences that we've pulled together. Now, I would never have had those opportunities to get those people, often from a diverse background, in a room at the same time, talking to each other. So bizarrely, we've lost one part of socialising and coming up with ideas. Mm. And we've replaced it with with something else, which has got other merits. So Mm. therefore, you both have merits, both work in an organisation. But you've got to recognise that actually there there are some great benefits that have occurred as a consequence of this Zoom technology that you also have to build in to the future design of your company and how you expect the company to operate. And Mm -hmm. if all you do is say, right, well, I want to go back to get that, you're going to lose the diversity of opinion that we've been able Mm -hmm. to get 
as a consequence of this type of technology. So it is on multi-multi-levels. This is not a simple solution. This is something that business leaders need to think about how you redesign, rethink, reimagine the business of the future. Yeah. Yes, because if, if you're not reimagining the future, you're re-engineering the past. Yes. And that's the quote I used from uh, from the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, yes. From Charlie. Yeah, I mean, it's just a fantastic quote. But like, like you made such a, a good point there around um, the, the kind of, the, well, what, what has come up quite a few times is the social aspect to it. So if there's a way to, like you say, continue exposing ourselves to these diverse opinions and these diverse thinkers through doing various things on Zoom and and connecting with people who we wouldn't normally connect with because we have this technology, as well as bringing people together physically whenever we're mm. able to do that, to form that kind of, I think it, it encourages a huge sense of bonding and um, belonging among mm. staff to actually physically bring people together. I think it's, it's hugely important to be able to do that because, I mean, it makes mm. a huge difference to meet someone face-to-face and then have a relationship with them online versus... Mm only ever having a relationship or the other way online or, or both you know the other mm-hmm. way having this zoom relationship and then suddenly meet them in person I yeah. mean this is the quite interesting thing I've you know because we are able to go out um you know I've had a, a couple of face-to-face meetings this week this week, and th- these are with people that I've been talking to on zoom and everything and then you go in and you go you go to hug them because you know them now <laughs> yeah. you can't obviously but you yeah. oh no we can't but you you it's it's change the way that otherwise it's a much more distance conversation over social media or an email or things but the, the zoom thing I've sat watching you with your puppy on your lap or your children walking past or whatever it's broken down this 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 barrier that you know, I've seen see you in your home you see me in my home it's yeah. a very different uh, very different thing that's the reason I wanted to do this series all about the future of work because it means different things to different people and I wanted to hear mm. a variety of, of perspectives on like what does that actually look like you know what do you see is happening currently and what do you think can change and what do you think needs to stay the same and the, you know I, I hear people talking about new normal the never normal the you know and like nothing will ever be the same again that's 100% guaranteed well my fear is that we will that we will uh, that we will revert to the old normal and reach and, and entrench some of those bad examples I mean we, you know we talk about how you know, the, the future of work that what we had didn't work yeah exactly. we, we had a model that we forced everybody into for the main part I mean obviously there were um, enlightened employers <laughs> but we, we had a model that we forced everybody into and it didn't work for business either this is the mad thing Mm. doesn't work for the people and doesn't work for the business. So reimagining what it will be like and adapting so that your your work, future workplace reflects your business. And I think the thing that you've got to, to focus on is that throughout history, I mean, maybe we should start reteaching history is there's a thought because you quite often can draw the lessons. But, you know, you look at the way in which, for example, Europe evolved after after the Black Death. And play, you you had a reduction in the in the workforce, material reduction in the workforce. So what does that mean? You've got to do well. You've got to think about how you mechanise, mm. and that directly takes a bit of time, but it directly leads 
to the beginning of industrialization, industrial revolution. Innovation. Yeah, you then, I mean, sadly, you have wars which cause the same problem. But, you know, challenges are the things that make innovation. And, and that's what we've had. And so this is part of a normal progression. It, it, we, this one happened to be a pandemic, but it could history just... Is history is full of, is, is full of something that's just yeah. not very good. Yeah. Um, and so... The, We've the, just not had one for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so the reality is now that this is the normal. It's just that you don't get these things happening on a daily basis. Mm. But when they do that's when the world starts to move and that's when the world changes. And this um, has given us an opportunity to do that sort of rethinking. And we can see the benefits of it. Mm. Now, provided that we don't spend all our time worrying about the, the pandemic itself, and we look through that and say, what was good as a consequence of that? Mm. Very easy to just focus on the bad. What was actually good? Mm. And how do we hang on to the good? Mm. And if we can do that, then, you know, it will, the benefits, the long lasting benefits of this will be far more material, certainly from a social perspective and from the quality of life perspective of people on this planet, will be far greater than the adverse impact of the pandemic. Now that, you know. And, and it should be as well, because, I mean, if you think about as, as, as a society, we are far more enlightened around each other's emotions, around mm. happiness at work, around you know, we, we, around how we feel. If you think about the last big hiccup for, for, for the Western world, of course, was the Second World War. Yeah. And that was at a time when we, you know, you, men came back from war and they didn't talk about it. Well, we we talk about it now. So mm. theoretically, this uh, this. Uh, kickstart to what we are doing should be have the more benefit to us because we are more enlightened in terms of how we adapt to it and how we engage with each other and how we accept uh, each other's I'm not, com- I'm not commenting on that. Are oh, you not commenting on that? You're not commenting on that. You don't want to talk about no, it? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Even the men in this world are being encouraged to talk about their emotions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and you know, we, 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 you know, when we were in Ireland and, and, and engaging with with the team around the four day week, and you, know, you have statistics in Ireland around ninety eight percent of care is done by women mm. uh, in, in in Irish in the Irish community. So, how is that going to change um, post COVID when we've sent everybody home? And so, therefore, far more of the men in the in, in in your society are actually engaging with care duties uh, just because they're home. And yeah. so, what would that look like? What what what's the jump start for the Irish society with things like that? I think it's you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, COVID is bad. I don't want to don't want to deny that. But there yeah. are some really exciting things that should come out if out of this, particularly if we let them. Definitely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, you can't kind of downplay the the awful devastating effects that it ha- has had. And, and I kind of wanted to do that with the, the, the kind of clip podcast as well. But I also wanted to, to focus on like, what are the good things and what are the good changes to come out of it? Because, you know, it, it kind of in a sense, it is what it is and it happened and it is happening. But actually focusing on the positive, I think, makes it better again i'm, I'm sorry going to be the, the student of history but uh 
British losses on the first day of the Somme, on the 1st of July, were twice as bad as COVID. Oh, really? One day. Wow. We would have lost more people on Chanak Bear in Gallipoli. Yeah. Far more people on Chanak Bear in one night yeah. than uh, has happened here. So, yes, it had the potential to be devastating, and, mm. and you can form your view whether some of those things were, shall we say, over-egged a little bit. You know, it, clearly the medical profession is always going to say that. But leave that aside for a second. The big issues here are economic. Now, in, in other parts of the world, countries have to operate, you know, look south, south, south sub-Saharan Africa is running with malaria, Ebola, MERS, SARS, and this, and they've had to keep economies going, right? Mm. So you can do it through these things. The important bit that comes out of this is actually what you do with it. You know, it, yes, it's been an economic disaster. Yeah. So how do we reposition our economies now to recover better, faster, stronger? That's the issue. As a tragic human tragedy for most of the the Western world, you know, it has been mild in comparison to what we've done to ourselves in the past. Mm. Yeah. And and that's a thing to do. You have to you, I do believe you have to keep that perspective. Definitely. Because mm. you know, if you lose the that if you lose always, that perspective, you end yeah, up I the think, perspective for people is the problem is always is always worse when you're living it. Yeah. Yeah. Um but when we look back on on what history will will talk about this time um and can and, and you compare it with other events in our history um then you know the, the globalness of this is is the, is the is the different factor but yeah. the effect of it is probably you know going to be on par with other things that yeah, and it's going we to, hope and the, therefore the challenge is of course it's a very long term impact i mean we you know, the impact of this could run into decades. Yeah. And it will certainly run into decades if we let it. Mm. And it will certainly run into decades if we don't rethink what we're meant to be, be doing. I mean, because yeah. remember, you know, we before we went into this, we had a pandemic. It was the mental health pandemic. Yeah. You know, one in four or one in five of the workforce had a stress or a mental health issue. Mm. All right. Now, actually, this is giving us a pathway to address that pandemic. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the statistics that already existed, the UK lost 15 million worker days a year from mental health or workplace stress. So there are some, you know, when, when you put in some comparisons around what's in there. So if as we come out of this, what's the pathway to, to, to repairing that? Now, flexible working, I think, will, will be, and the ability to work remotely will be part of well, how well, we... How we just, just, so just on that, we, we've started to do some statistics in our own company around things like sick days. They've halved, mm. you know, and continuing to go down. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing, we're seeing all sorts of patterns start to emerge in terms of our own workplace data that are saying that actually we're getting lots of other benefits that are flowing through. People aren't having to take those odd little days of leave either. Mm. So because of that, they're taking bigger blocks of leave. Now, that's making you know, more time to unwind, more time with the family. There are lots and lots of little things that drop out of this. 
And so again, you know, coming back to how we go forward from here, mm. you can see if those things were translated on a national stage, wherever it was, mm. actually there would be significant benefits, significant benefits to to the, the the economy, to society. And that's what I'm hoping is that that we we don't lose sight of those benefits and we, yeah. we could because we'll sit here looking at the wreckage that is um, central, local, family finances mm. and go actually just getting those sorted is the, is the job and actually it's not just the job. We've got yeah. to do more. And even from a practical basis, I mean, if we go back to the same old, same old and everybody hikes their, you know, their, themselves back into the office, but we're all being told that if you get a sniffle, you can't come to work, mm. you know. And so, therefore, and, and so so how does that work out for a family? You have a child that gets a sniffle, so they can't go to school, so you have to stay home. And then the next child comes down with it, and so then so you're still home. So let's say four days by the time you're home. It's still just a sniffle that we all get in the, you know, seasonal sniffles. Um, and then you get the sniffle. And so next thing you know, you spend a whole week at mm. home um, that if you haven't got flexible and remote working to be able mm. to pick up that, then you've taken a week of sick leave that you didn't need to take, and you wouldn't have taken before COVID. Yeah, you would have just yeah. everyone would just muddle through, right? Yeah. So, so we have to be very careful of how we manage. You know, where islands like New Zealand, we we, we have generous. Uh, maybe they used to say they're not generous enough, but we have generous sick and holiday pay and, and, and those sort of leaves. But if we if we change the way you have to engage with those numbers we will run into issues of people feeling financial stress again and as you know the mental health in the workplace a large part of that comes down to mental uh, to to financial, financial stress financial mm. pressure yeah uh, especially for families so you know those are the sort of things that we have to we have to accept and one of the great things about the remote and flexible working the four-day week when we've seen a marked reduction in the number of sick days wow. that our staff take um, that was pre-COVID when they were pretty much all coming into the office. And yeah. so, you know, if you can change the way that people uh, can balance their time, then you change markedly the way your company operates. Yeah, absolutely. So we've covered quite a, a lot of different kind of areas. Is there anything else that hasn't come up that you'd like to, to bring up in terms of practical tips or uh, any areas that you wanted to talk about? read Andrew's book <laughs> yes yes um, yes so, yeah, so it's a bit of like no so 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 if, if you know so if, if any of your listeners are out there and that they are like curious as to how to make them, them this work for themselves they can do several things one is they can go onto our fourdayweek.com website so that's the number four dayweek.com um, there is Andrew's book, which was written before COVID, but the lessons that are in the book apply now as, 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 as ever. Um, and it's full of so much useful information around, you know, not only how to do four-day week, but why and, and what, you know, a whole pile of, of the peripheral things around that. But also, if you're on our four-day week website, there is our white, white paper that you can download, which talks about the, the, the journey that we went on and, and how Perpetual Guardian made four-day week work. Um, and then on our events page, we are actually hosting a four-day week webinar. It's on the 18th of June in New Zealand, which is the night of the, sorry, I've had to try and fit international time zones in. <laughs> yeah. So it is at 10 o'clock at night in Ireland. Um, right. But 
it's nine o'clock in the morning in New Zealand, and we're, we're, it's, it's it's other hours, obviously, in, in the, the US. Um, but and we've got some great people on that. We've got Jan Emanuel Deneve from Oxford University. We've got Ashley Whelan's from Harvard. Uh, from Harvard. We've got uh, Margaret Cox from Ireland. Um, we have Alex Pang from San Francisco, and obviously ourselves. We will also we're, we're just we've got a couple of other guests that I've yet to confirm. So it'll be a very international conversation, um, and people should get quite a lot out of that. I think, um, but. They are always welcome to connect in to Andrew and I as well, either on LinkedIn or they can just email through to um, CEO at fourdayweek.com. Um, we're always happy to talk to people. We are trying to work out a structure where we can have people in your own markets that would be able to help you as well. So, um, you know, if, if people have questions, you know, just ask them. We'll, and, we'll give you the answers. And as always, the uh, the big piece of advice is just don't overthink it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, we said it last time. We'll say it again. Yeah, don't overthink <laughs> don't it. Think it. As, this is not as hard as you think. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. But no, look, it, I I do think we have a real, as I said, we have a great opportunity to to build back far stronger and better. And and it's incumbent upon us. I think it's incumbent upon business leaders, political leaders everywhere to to take this opportunity. And to reimagine what we do, and and I think we we have to grab that now. Brilliant. And the question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast: What makes you happier at work? Well, okay, I'm going to do a, a lockdown one. We've probably had more fun from a business perspective and doing things, and done some really. We we for example ran our when our poppy day. Uh, was cancelled here, our Anzac Day cancelled for the main appeal. We mm. designed, built, and operated a virtual Poppy Day fundraising campaign for our return services people. Now, that came out from walking on a beach, uh, going into a supermarket, seeing what was closed when we were in lockdown, and then actually we ran and devised the whole thing from here. Now, that's work, right? So work is not about where you are. Mm. Work is about what you can imagine and what you can do. And the yeah. great thing about, uh, to me, the great thing of the last few weeks has been the fact that we can do that, having these conversations, interacting with people um, all over the world. And that has been um, that has been so exciting and such a privilege. And, and for me, it, it, you know, I, I get to talk to people all over the world. And I, I have, you know, people often sort of say to me, what do you, I say, I have interesting conversations with people all of the time. <laughs> and uh, and I just love it when I have a conversation with a CEO or, or, or a head of HR and the, and, and the conversation ends and that person says, I'm going to take this to the board. You know, they, 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 they get it, they understand it, they've read the book and they're, they're, their next step is that they want to get the board on you know the board on board um, because they really see how how a new way of working will be will make that where they work so much more satisfying. Brilliant, love it. Thank you so much for your time today. Time difference means it's Thank nighttime you. here in Ireland and it's a very <laughs> early morning in uh, New Zealand. So we managed to make it happen all the same. So really appreciate that. Thank you so much. No, thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. And there you have it. That was Andrew Barnes and Charlotte Lockhart from 4dayweek.com. I wanted to recap on some of the stuff that uh, was covered during the podcast. And we had a great conversation 
especially in light of um, the recent pandemic or the current pandemic, I should say, because I had spoken to Andrew before. And, you know, the, I suppose the, the, the main thing is that what's going on now is accelerating the way things potentially were going anyway. And um, so we covered quite a bit. We talked about flexible working initially and this whole idea of being able to work remotely and you know, maybe companies are moving too quickly to offer that as almost mandatory, whereas the better way to approach it would really be offering it as an opt in rather than making it mandatory. They highlighted the fact that we have jumped over that whole fear of being able to work from home and not getting as much done. And, you know, that's no longer an issue that's taken off the table now and it's opened the door to it to an extent for people to be able to operate remotely, to be able to work more flexibly. And that opens the conversation then around four day working weeks. We spoke as well about a very interesting idea of with people working remotely, the supports tend to go back into more the localised economy rather than centralised into the major kind of cities and the major hubs and promoting domestic tourism then uh, as well, the environmental impact as well. And the example that they gave was uh, copying and copier paper. And we're not photocopying as much and probably we're not printing as much either if we're if we're at home or, you know, we're not relying on the, the work printer anymore. We have had to learn to be more digital by doing Zoom meetings. And I was on a Zoom meeting this evening, actually, and uh, I was surprised to see that there were some people who had never, they weren't really used to using Zoom at all. So um, it's been a while since I'd seen anyone who who didn't really know. Um, but actually, it's it's almost made it easier to have meetings on Zoom. And Andrew shared the example of his return to the office where, you know, it was actually people were so spread out that it was hard to hear anyone. They had to have microphones and it was really difficult to see people as well. So sometimes Zoom actually makes things a little bit easier. Andrew shared an interesting idea of going to work to socialise. So really bringing that sense of belonging back into where you go to work. So typically work is where you go to work, whereas in this new new world, potentially there's an opportunity to do the work at home and then go to the office to socialise, to, to collaborate and to really get that sense of belonging with other people that you work with. We spoke as well about productivity and this is something that I'm very interested in and it was interesting to hear them talk about. So you weren't worried about productivity before. Why suddenly all of the interest in productivity, you know, this being companies who are starting to talk more about productivity and how to measure it instead of measuring time and the input that people have in work, it's more important to focus on the output and the results that you're getting. But companies are really struggling with how to actually do that. And the key thing here was really anything that you get is an improvement. And if you can look at top line numbers like revenue and profit, and really it's not about the business owners or the business leaders understanding about what productivity is, but the people who are carrying out the roles themselves, it's about them understanding it, what they should and what they shouldn't be doing. And that, to me, stems from a really clear vision about what the business is trying to achieve and what results they are expecting. The key way to look at this would be to consider the outcome that my team is responsible for. So that would be from a manager's perspective. 
And from an individual contributor then or an employee's perspective, it would be thinking about, is this more important than going home? We discussed some of the challenges then around flexible working and some that I hadn't really thought about before. So there's this whole concept of uh, the water cooler chat. So the water cooler chat is not happening at the moment. But equally, Zoom presents an opportunity to have conversations with people all over the world. And another one of the challenges then is around equal opportunity. So not everyone has the same opportunity to be able to work from home. There's the lower levels of education. There's people in large families and people with poor Internet or no access to Internet at all. Another interesting area that, again, I hadn't really thought about, but if companies are moving more towards this model of remote working, then the culture of those companies is going to evolve over time purely by the people that are attracted to work in those organisations. And as Charlotte pointed out, it's really more about the introverts would thrive in an environment like that. And then suddenly you've got a company full of introverts that's moving away from the diversity agenda. And you don't necessarily have that diversity of thought within the business if people are all thinking in the same way. So it's really important to consider those types of impacts when you're thinking about how the future of work is going to look. And I wanted to leave you with this last thing. So I have signed up for the event that Andrew and Charlotte mentioned. It's happening on the 18th of June and it's 10 p.m. Irish time or 9 a.m. New Zealand time. And I'm sure you'll be able to work out for yourself what time that means for you. But I'll put a link to that event in the show notes. If you are going, do let me know. I'd love to connect with you. If you haven't listened to the previous podcast with Andrew Barnes, it's podcast episode number seven. And again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. If you know someone who you think would be interested in listening to this podcast, please hit the share button. As always, I'd be delighted to hear your feedback, any questions that you have. I'd love to interact on social media. You'll find me on Instagram, on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I'll put those in the, the links to those in the show notes as well. I uh, wanted to give a shout out to listeners in Sydney. Sydney was the number one city for listeners in this past seven days. So thank you. Thank you very much for tuning in. That's all for this week and I'll be back again next week with another episode in the Future of Work series. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.